This is Watch the Media. I'm John Schrader. It's hard work and good fortune, and I don't know which one I should put first in that sentence. Um, one is required to stay, one is needed to have the opportunities. And, you know, you, you've got to perform. Had I not performed last year on the NFL, I wouldn't be doing it this year. It's not a, there's not a, it's not a forgiving business. But I don't care what it is, if it's a high school game, if it's college, if it's pro, you have a chance every time you turn on the microphone to have something unexpected and remarkable happen. How are you prepared to handle it? Kevin Kugler is a graduate of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. He created a sports talk show in Omaha, Unsportsmanlike Conduct, at 1620 The Zone. He's done play-by-play -play for radio on Westwood One, then did television for the Big Ten Network. And since 2018, he's been one of the voices of the NFL on Fox. Kevin joined us here in the College of Journalism and Mass Communications this fall to share some advice and some stories with our students in the sports broadcasting class. You just owe it to the audience, first and foremost, and to the craft, second, to do your very best, whether it comes to preparation or show, that you can, regardless of the venue or the moment. Um, well, thank you. I appreciate you having me down oh, for this. For and uh, yeah, it's it, even in a pandemic, it's weird broadcast talking with a mask on. We have not been doing much of this. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to avoid the having to broadcast with a mask. So uh, forgive me if I'm a little muted with this. Um, but it is great to be here. And yeah, as John said, I was in this class in the 90s, um, took sports broadcasting like so many of you. And um, let me start with this. How many of you are absolutely sure what you want to do in this business? And not, if you're doing this, you're not absolutely sure. I mean, that's <laughs> the, the, the reason I ask this is I sat in this class and I had no idea. So if you're somebody who was sitting in here and is like, oh, I know exactly what I'm going to do, that's great, you're ahead of me. If you're somebody who's sitting here going, I have no clue how I'm, I want to be in this business, but I don't know where it's going to end up you're right with me. Um, so don't take any, uh, don't be nervous about that, even though it's very easy to be in this business. Uh, brief story about me. So as John mentioned, I went to University of Nebraska, graduate of Lincoln High School here in Lincoln, um, came through the broadcast college after starting in the business college, found out very quickly I was a bad fit for the business college, um, came over here to broadcasting, fell in love with the place, fell in love with the professors, fell in love with the, the medium, and started off working um, in a small town in Nebraska doing small town radio, moved up to a minor league basketball team, worked for a team for a while. That team folded, lost my job, uh, freelanced for a little bit, and was very nearly out of the business. Couldn't figure out a way to stick in it. Uh, I was about five years into the business. I was doing odd jobs, trying to make it work, couldn't make it work went out to cover the West Nebraska All-Star Game for Nebraska Public Television. And I stopped on a golfing trip with the guy I went out with, Bill Dolman, another broadcaster. And 
was discussing with him on that trip what I was going to do for the rest of my life because I had no idea how I was going to make it in this business. Got a phone call on that trip from the University of Nebraska Omaha. They still had a football team at that time. And I was asked to broadcast their football and basketball games, and that's what kept me in the business. So I moved up there, got the chance to broadcast these games on the radio. The person who was running the radio station at the time that we were on liked what he heard, offered me the chance to do a sports talk show, started a sports talk show called Unsportsmanlike Conduct in Omaha, uh, did that show for 12 years. It was, by the time I left, the number one radio show in Omaha, and I'm very proud of that. We had a lot of fun with that, and we had a really good run with that, and the show's still going. It's just my college roommate and best man at my wedding, John Bishop, now hosts it with the guy who was my intern on the show, Josh Peterson. So, in the meantime, while I was doing that, I was still doing play-by-play, -play, which is my true passion. 2006, I got the chance to do national college football and basketball play-by-play -play for the Westwood One Radio Network, which is a division, essentially, of CBS Radio Sports. And from there, Nebraska joined the Big Ten Conference. I got the chance to start working for the Big Ten Network when they did. Started doing more television in 2012. Last year, the, you may not know this, there was a pandemic last year, and Nebraska and other Big Ten schools didn't play football right away. So last year in March, I was in Indianapolis for the Big Ten tournament when the world shut down, got a plane, came home, sat for five months, didn't know what I was going to do again. Kind of felt like it was my college days all over again. I wasn't sure what was going to happen because I worked in college. Without college sports, there wasn't a whole lot of work for a college sportscaster. And on August the 24th, I was walking my dog, Charlie, fine dog, and I got a text from my agent that said, I'm all over it. And I was out with my dog. I didn't know what he was talking about. Well, it appears that, uh, I don't know if any of you have ever heard of the man Tom Brenneman. Tom Brenneman made a statement on air that Tom Brenneman should not have made on air. It got picked up on a microphone. Two days later, I was one of the voices of the NFL on Fox. And I apparently didn't screw that up and got re-signed this year for years to Fox. So that was kind of cool. And so that's what I do now. I do the NFL on Fox every week. And I do college basketball for Fox and for Big Ten Network. And I do college basketball and NFL on the radio for Westwood One still, all these years later. And that's sort of who I am in a nutshell. I love what I do. I'm passionate about it. And it's been a long, fun trip to get here. The journey is so much a part of all of this stuff. You remember all the things you will do, whether you're starting as a production assistant or you're starting as a play-by-play -play person or a sideline reporter or whoever you're going to absolutely, you're, you're getting into a great business. I offer advice to people every time I speak to a college class, the first and most important thing, how many of you envision yourselves having a relationship with someone else someday that is not that of your mother, father, children, you know, siblings, who, any of you envision yourselves in a relationship, married, dating, anybody? Anybody think that might happen for them? Okay, do the people that you vision yourself know what you're doing as a career? Winner games, 
Games are nights and weekends. When are things that normal people do? Nights and weekends. If you want to have a social life as well as a married life or a dating life or whatever, all I can advise you is this, find someone who is passionate about what you do too, but also understands that the games you are going to be covering happen when they want to have movie night with their friends or you know somebody's having a party or oh they're getting engaged a big engagement party you probably will have a game and that's a, that's sometimes hard for that significant other i've got lucky i married a coach's daughter so for her weekends were always dad was watching film and dad had a game so it wasn't a big deal that's not always the case so i offer that before i get into any of the broadcast stuff because I don't think people advise people enough about that. That's one thing you never, I never thought about that. I was just like, all right, I wanna be a broadcaster. And then I realized, oh, there are other people in my life that have, are affected by what I do. So just keep that in the back of your mind. It doesn't matter as much as when you're you know, going to get your first job, but when you are thinking about how you're gonna marry your life and all of this together, just remember that the other person in your life is going to be affected by this and it's weird hours i mean it just is i i will my normal week is and this is now uh during football season so my normal week is i will leave most likely thursday nights and i will fly to whatever city we're in i'm there friday saturday get home late sunday night start prepping for my next game monday prep monday tuesday wednesday through thursday hop on the plane and i do it all over again now for 18 weeks then college basketball starts in November and the weeks that I have college basketball games are in the middle of the week. So I shoehorn that in with football. It's, you know, you get used to it after 20 some years of marriage, but in the beginning, it's tough. And so I, again, I love the job. I mean, it's a great gig, but it is something that you all have to keep in mind. Kevin Kugler of Fox Sports, the Big Ten Network, and Westwood One. With us this time around on Watch the Media, I'm John Schrader. For the actual broadcasting stuff, the one thing none of you can learn without trial and error is prep. Preparation is what sets broadcasters apart from other broadcasters. If you're listening to or watching a game and you know how to pronounce this guy's name and the guy on the air doesn't and says it wrong, you automatically know that person did not prepare enough for that broadcast. You have to, you have to be, those are the minor details that become major when you're watching or listening to a game. And that all comes down to preparation. How much time are you spending preparing for that game? What, and I don't care if it's, a Fox game like I have this weekend in Chicago, if it's a high school game, and that's harder. Look, high school games are harder. I have people who send me information by the thousands of pages, articles, pronunciation guides, storylines. I have a production team around me, producers, directors, associate directors, technical directors, sideline reporter, analyst. All these people are doing their thing. You're going to do a high school game. Nobody's sending you anything. Nobody's giving you, here's a pronunciation guide. You don't know. It's hard and it's frustrating. I, I did, I don't know how many years of high school sports. That's, 
this is easy. I mean, they tell me exactly how to pronounce the names. High school is tough, but that's where you can set yourself apart. You can go down and, and, and the one, another a bit of advice I'll give you is never trust a coach. Never trust a coach to pronounce a name correctly. They never know. They never know. And they butcher it nine times out of 10. And then you can't say to somebody, well, you know, the coach told me, well, go ask the kid. If you can get access to them, ask a parent, ask somebody. There's always parents in the stands when you go to these games. Find somebody to say, hey, do you know how to say number 83's name? Well, I don't, but that's his mom right there. Okay, great. It's the little things like that at any level that set broadcasters apart from other broadcasters. It may seem like you're doing a lot of busy work, and I've got bad news for you. This, I brought my football charts from last week to show you what I do. So these are my charts from last week for my first game of the season. We had Niners-Lions last week. And you guys have all done prep, I assume, for some games, maybe, maybe not. But how, what percentage do you think you use of this? You keep going. I mean, it's, it depends on the game. 5%, maybe 10%. I probably used more this past week than I normally do because at one point the game was 38 to 10. But and then, and so you're starting to tell these stories that you've prepped for. Hey, you know, this guy was this, this, this. And then sometimes we get caught. So I get, we're telling big picture stories. They call it the saddlebag. We're emptying the saddlebag of all the crap we talked about if we needed a blowout that was in the truck. Hey, let's show this graphic. Hey, let's tell this story. And all of a sudden we look up and it's a one score game. And we're like, well, you know what? We probably should get back to that now. The actual game has seemingly gotten tight again because the Niners decided to cough up the ball all over the place. Um, but it's when you're doing that prep, it's like you do all this work and you get done and you're like, I used 5% of this stuff. Don't take that as an example to say, oh, I don't need to prep. Let me tell you a story. So I'm doing UNO football. Division two football, and it's the first game of the year. So you have no storylines from previous games, nothing else. We're in the first quarter of the game, maybe five minutes in. The power goes out at the stadium. Boom, night game, no lights. But the power stays on to the broadcast booth somehow. It's radio. I'm sitting there, the man next to me who's doing my color commentary is a retired former broadcaster who's just because Division II athletics didn't pay well. He was doing it basically because he loved broadcasting and didn't want to get out of it. But he didn't know one blessed thing. He could tell you a great story about Bob Devaney in the 60s for the Huskers because he covered the Huskers, but he could not tell you much about UNO. 45 minutes later. There's no one in the studio to go and let's go back to Dave in the studio who will give us scores. It's Kevin and an elderly gentleman sitting in a booth in a dark stadium. Game one, five minutes in, and I think it was seven nothing. So I can't exactly recap the game for 45 minutes. I can't do scores and highlights. I can't tell you about the season because there is no season at this point. You're 45 minutes in. You're 45 minutes to kill in a game that's been five minutes old and a season that's five minutes old. That's where you use all that. That's where you are grateful for your prep. And that scared me so much 
and you know a lot of us live in fear of being exposed as you know not prepared or not this or not that that's why i prep like i do now it would never happen to me in this instance if i if the power goes out this week at soldier field we'll go back to another game or the fox studios we're not just going to sit there for 45 minutes twiddling our thumbs but i still prepare like that because i just don't want to be caught without something to say and that's something that everyone I hope will remember as you guys get into this is be prepared for the disaster to fall. Be prepared for the unexpected. You are doing the last real, true, live reality radio or television because you never know what's gonna happen. Everybody remember Kevin Ware played for Louisville? So NCAA tournament against Duke. Kevin Ware on the right side line, goes up for a shot, comes down, and like a dry twig, yeah, leg snaps. I'm sitting on the other side of the floor calling this game on the radio. It's the NCAA tournament, and for the NCAA tournament we do full live individual broadcasts of each game on radio. And you knew the minute it happened in the building that this was not a good thing. The leg was broken. And how did I know? Well, I'm on the other side of the floor, the sound, but the fact that Mike Krzyzewski, and I'm about to demonstrate something, I'm not just standing up here to do something random, which is probably what I'm doing anyway. but. Mike Krzyzewski, so he's over there. He's, Krzyzewski's on the sideline, Kevin Ware's down there, does this. And walks away from it because it was so gruesome that even he couldn't stomach to look at it. He wanted to go over to try to help this guy and then did a U-turn because the leg was, again, those are instances in which you cannot necessarily, and this is the other side of the coin of preparation. Those are instances where you can't necessarily prepare. There, I didn't have a whole lot of stuff on what happens if Kevin Ware breaks his leg and can I tell great stories about you know, that. So you have to turn into a reporter and that's where everybody has to be prepared to be a reporter. Whether you're a play-by-play -play guy, whether you're an analyst, whether you're a sideline reporter, whether if you're on air, you go from sports reporter to news reporter in that minute and you describe what you see and you describe what's going on around it and you paint the picture. I've done the NCAA tournament since 2006. I've been the voice of the Final Four since 2008 on radio. I've never had more interview requests about a game than that one. I've never had people play that clip more to me other than a national championship call than the clip of me describing Kevin Ware's broken leg because it was one of those moments that you cannot prepare for, but you have to be ready for. So there's two things. Prepar preparation is absolutely key, but be prepared to be unprepared. Be prepared to ad lib. Be prepared to tell a story without a whole lot of context to tell, without speculating as to the context. I mean, it's very, you can't sit there and say, well, that's clearly gonna end his career. That's clearly gonna be the last time he ever plays basketball. His life is probably over. I mean, you can't go down that road, 
but you also have to describe what you see and become a news reporter in a sports uniform. So John asked me to share a couple of stories like that, and that's, those are just some of the things that, to me, you never really think about when you go into an arena. Am I going to have to cover this or that? You go in thinking, I'm going to cover a football game and I'm going to leave. But I don't care what it is. If it's a high school game, if it's college, if it's pro, you have a chance every time you turn on the microphone to have something unexpected and remarkable happen. How are you prepared to handle it? Are you prepared to handle it with preparation because you have prepared for this moment? Are you prepared to handle it because you are prepared to be a reporter in that moment? How have you prepared for your broadcast? And that's the one thing that each and every one of you who does on air is going to have to learn. And a lot of it's trial and error. A lot of it is you're going to do a game and you're going to come back and go, well, I hated how I prepped for that. I didn't like this board I built. I don't like the information I had. And so you redo it and you start over. This is, I don't know how many incarnations of a football board that I've had in my career. Every year I tweak something. Every year I find something that I'd rather have or I like better, make it bigger, make it smaller, use different color coatings, whatever. But it's, to me, so much of this business is about preparing for the day-to-day, -day, every single game that you have. And if you take anything from this today, which probably none of you will, because um, I remember these classes, but if you take anything from this, preparation to me is, it's just the absolute dividing line between so many broadcasters. Sean McDonough is one of my favorite broadcasters in this business. Sean McDonough is the most prepared broadcaster there is. You may be, and and, and it's, we're such a, this is such a subjective craft. You guys in this room, all of you like somebody, and it may be 20 different people that you like, and they're all good. You know, oh, I like Jason Benetti. Oh, I like Sean McDonough. Oh, I like, you know, Brent Musburger, whoever. But Sean McDonough, to me, is one of the best because his preparation is second to none. I've never heard Sean mispronounce a name. I've never heard Sean stumble. Sometimes his voice will crack like it did in the Michigan-Michigan State game a few years back on the fake punt, or the, not the fake punt, but the, the bobbled punt that turned into a Michigan State win. And that made it unique and that made it enjoyable, but it wasn't a lack of preparation. It was just you know, the foibles of the human voice. It is the preparation that sets somebody like that apart. I may not be the best, but that's always the goal, but I certainly don't want to be out prepared. And I don't want somebody to go, Gal, not only was he terrible at his job, but he wasn't prepared for his job. So that's the best advice I can offer anybody is show up on time, be prepared, and understand that no matter what end of this business you get into, make sure that the person you're with and your family understands that you're never, ever, ever going to be able to go to that party on Friday night. I mean, never. It just isn't going to happen, you know? So find somebody who's cool with you being at a high school game or a college game or a pro game on a Saturday afternoon at three when they want to go and, you know, pick apples in Nebraska City. Not that that was ever something that happened. <laughs>
he was so distraught by the fact of working with me that he left to go run the Lions. And in, you know, the, the fact that working with me was so awful that running a horrible franchise was, was ideal to him as opposed to being in my booth with me. So Mark, Mark has had exactly one game now in a broadcast booth. First time he walked into a Fox broadcast booth was Saturday when we went over to see the booth. So it's a complete, Chris Spielman had been doing it for years, at first at college and then the NFL. Mark has no idea what he's doing. And he's a great, and he will, he's gonna be very good. But if you watch the Bears game this Sunday, treat him with a little grace if you're on Twitter ripping him because it's game two. You know, think of all you guys in game two. Well, that's how he is. In game two, he's like, okay, football. I know football, I'll just say things about that. But as far as our storytelling approach, we have a lot of meetings. And Laura and I, Laura Oakman is our sideline reporter. She's, our th she's my teammate in this as well. And Laura is one of the very best people I've ever met in this business. Laura is fantastic. Um, Laura is considerate. Laura is incredibly smart. And Laura is a tremendous storyteller. So the problem for storytelling in a football game is you'd love to tell a really long story. You have a little tiny window to tell that story because there's play happening and you, you're not gonna ignore a play to tell the story, if you can. So we have a lot of collaboration. Friday's typical weekend, um, especially now, because we're kind of back to normal. Last year we were in person for all of our NFL games, but we didn't meet with any teams in person. We met on Zoom. This year we went to the Lions compound Friday. We met with the team in person, watched practice, all that stuff, and then did our Zoom with the 49ers on Saturday. So we get some stories from the players and coaches, obviously. But then Laura comes up with the stories she wants to tell and then prioritizes them for me because I'm sort of the point guard. That's the role of a play-by-play -play guy on TV. TV is an analyst's medium. It is not a play-by-play -play guys. Every play-by-play -play guy will tell you that radio is their favorite thing to do. And if they tell you TV is, they're lying to you because radio is the best play-by-play -play medium. It's just, it's what, it gives us the chance to do what we do best. But my job on TV is a little more different. Yes, I have to call the play-by-play, -play, but I also have to, my job is to set up the analyst and traffic cop the whole thing. So Laura will send me a list of, we'll talk about, you know, what stories we like, what stories she likes. She'll send me a list Saturday nights. Here's 12 stories I really like. And then I'll, like this Saturday, I called her like, hey, prioritize these, you know, give me six that are higher priority than others. And then as the game's going on, if I think one fits in, I'll get on the mic to our producer and I'll say, hey, Laura has this story about this. This would really fit well here with what we're talking about. He's like, yeah, you're right, let's do that. Or no, that's not a good spot for it. So there's this total collaboration that's going on as we're on the air doing this game to where we're trying to figure out, okay, when's this fit in? How's this story fit here? Where does this go? And you know, you can't schedule it. You can't say, all right, second quarter, we'll tell the story about George Kittle. Maybe George Kittle's been hit by a meteor in the first quarter and he's not there anymore, so you can't really tell this story. But you try to come up with six or seven things that are really interesting and really important that she's got good information on that can add to the broadcast, prioritize those and then get them in as we can. And it's, it truly is a team effort. You know, if, if she and I don't talk about this, I don't know what's really important to her, what she's really got the good stuff on. But if you've got a good person on the field, it can add so much more to your broadcast.
than just two people sitting in a booth. And Laura's among the best I've ever been around in doing that. The higher up, I've learned this, the higher up the ladder you go, sometimes the more support you have and the easier it becomes, which is crazy. But, you know, I, I set up my own equipment when I did Division II football. I'd engineer my own games and I'd, you know, that's what you do. And now I show up and they hand me a headset and I've got a person next to me in a spotter whose job is to point at the people on the board who make a tackle and do all this other stuff. I've got a stats person that travels with me who does stats for me every single week. And a lot of that communication that occurs between those guys and me is either by notes that I jot very quickly during a broadcast or by just I've worked with them enough that they know kind of my style. And, they, and, and so much of this business is listening. We all think of it as talking. So much of this is listening. I have to listen to what Mark is saying next to me so that I can lead him to places. I have to listen to what Laura is saying so that I can dovetail off that. When we go to a studio update and Krista Thompson at Fox gives us a, a game break or whatever, I have to play off that at the end. I can't just check out while she's telling me, hey, you know, Rams have scored another touchdown and it's 21-0. I just can't come back and go, oh, I wonder what's going on in the Rams game because I've checked out. I, I have to be listening and tuned into that as well. So it's really all about listening and communication. And for me, I'm lucky my spotter and my stats guy have both been doing this with me for a while. So we've kind of gotten, but you know, it's not foolproof. Like for example, I'm doing, we're doing this game this weekend. It's, and the biggest, the largest margin in the game was 38 to 10. Well, sometimes you're calling the game and you guys know this. Sometimes when you're calling the game, if you don't have it written down in front of you, as the game's going on, you're like, how wide was the margin in this game? Was it 25? Was it 28? I know they had a huge lead, but how huge was that lead? And so I wrote a note to Alan, my stats guy, and it was the biggest spread. Well, he thought I meant what's the biggest spread in the NFL that day. So he's on his computer looking up, oh, who had the largest, who, who's tough? I mean, he's, I don't, he, but he's doing it because he thinks that's what, I'm like, no, 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 in this game, what was the largest? Oh yeah, 38-10. So it's, it's not foolproof, but it really is just a matter of learning how to communicate best with them. I don't have a talk back to them. If I needed to say something to them specific, I could talk to my producer who could then talk to them. But so much of what we do is hand signals and nonverbal. My spotter will you know, block, tip, um, you know, chop block. There's a lot of different things that he'll do to let me know without actually saying anything. Alan has the tendency, my stats guy, to sometimes just yell, ball, when there's a fumble. And like, kind of like, did that go in the air? What are you doing? Um, he gets a little wrapped up in the games. But he's, but he's great with stats. Um, and he's a great dude. But it's, uh, it's just so much a matter of communication, listening, and having some sort of a system that you can, you know, that you can figure out what they're saying when they're not really saying anything. It was the one thing outside of just how was he going to be breaking it down that I was most concerned about because that's and so with that in mind um, and I've never done this before but I actually went out to his house this summer and stayed a couple days in his house and was like the house guest that wouldn't leave um, I don't know if anybody knows this but when you play quarterback in the NFL and you're a first round draft pick you can get a kind of nice house so uh, so Mark's Mark's got a pretty nice place in California with a nice little view of the ocean so um, I'm like you know what, we should get together. Yeah, we should. Well, I should come to your house then. <laughs> I mean, you, you could come to Omaha, but yeah, what are we gonna do there? Go to the zoo? No, let's just, let's go. So went out and hung out at his house for a couple days. And what we did was we just sat, well, 
what we did first was go to his 15-year-old uh, nephew's birthday party because as we were getting on the plane, he's like, oh, dude, I totally forgot. It's Nico's birthday party, and the whole family's going to be there. You want to go? So I ended up, you know, catching shrimp at a hibachi place on a <laughs> Tuesday night with the entire family. So that was a good way to bond right away. I met everybody. Um, but, uh, and, and, you know, met his longtime girlfriend, who's a famous actress. Has anybody seen the show In the Dark? It's a CW show. I don't know. Maybe she's not so famous. But anyway, she's the lead in that. Uh, I hadn't seen it either, but she's very nice. Um, but then we just sat, and for two days watched a ton of games old games like calling up madden summer all games on youtube calling and we'd just go through stuff and and found a game i did of him playing i used to do the jaguars preseason games and now i do the texans but when he was still with the jets we did the jaguars and jets played the preseason we did that game and so i we ran one watched one of those games of him playing and me calling him. And I was nervous about that because I didn't remember if I'd said something negative about Mark Sanchez, like, <laughs> oh, this guy's prone to the pick or something. <laughs> Luckily, I didn't. Uh, but it was just a matter of hanging out, spending time together, and trying at the same time to kind of help him figure out where his voice was going to be. Because he's a lot like you guys in that he's just trying to figure out who he is in this business and what he's going to do. And, you know, so anytime you feel like you're swimming in it, just remember Mark Sanchez never broadcast a game before. We showed him some old YouTube clips and then threw him into the pool and said, swim. And that's, but, but we've gone to dinners. We've, you know, we text and talk all the time. I mean, it's just a matter of, it's like you'd develop any other friendship, you know, just by hanging out, by conversation, by, you know, text and, you know, gave him a hard time about USC firing their coach and, he then made some disparaging comment about Nebraska, and I blocked his phone number, and that was it. So, Kevin Kugler on Watch the Media with us in our sports broadcasting class at the University of Nebraska this fall, a class Kugler took in his college days. He was asked by one of our students how he found his voice. Finding my own voice was just a matter of, it, again, it's, there's so much of this is trial and error. I was a screamer when I started it. I, I should sometime transfer my minor league basketball to some sort of digital format. I mean, you'd have thought I was, I mean, I was paid by the team, but you'd have thought, I mean, it was ridiculous. I, it's a freaking playoff game of minor league basketball and I'm screaming like I've just conquered Mount Everest. I mean, it's, ah! I mean, it's just losing your mind, almost unintelligible. And so I listened to that and I'm like, well, I don't wanna be that guy. I don't wanna be, I, I pride myself on being enthusiastic about games. I mean, if, if you're not excited about the game you're doing, why would anybody who's listening or watching be excited about the game you're doing? I mean, that, that's just common sense. If you're watching a game and the guy's like, well, this game sucks, it's a bad game, nobody cares, this team's terrible, most of us are gonna go, all right, well then I'll find something else because there's 800 channels of games on, so I'll watch something else. So to me, it's all about being enthusiastic and finding my voice was just a matter of how can I be enthusiastic while still conveying the information that you need? And radio helps a ton in that. And what also helped in that was being a talk show host. 12 years of doing three or four hours a day of having to ad lib is invaluable because you learn, you know, one of you guys calls in and says something stupid and I have to react to that. So then I react to that and mock you on the air and it becomes a good fun time. That's how you learn ad-libbing you learn by talking and I've made plenty of mistakes 
doing talk shows too, and I made plenty of mistakes ad-libbing, but it's all part of finding your voice, and it's just the combined experiences that I've had, whether it be listening to my stuff, which I still struggle with. All these years later, I still cringe when I see myself or hear myself on TV. It's just like, ugh, what is this guy doing? When they're gonna find out I'm a fraud, it's over. And, but you force yourself to do it to make yourself better. And I'm, there's nobody that could be a harder critic on themselves than I am on myself. I mean, I just, every time I listen to it, I'm like, well, you said everything in that sentence wrong, but the, and congratulations on getting one word right, because the next sentence you were terrible. So you just, you, you, you listen. I, I used to send tapes out to people when I was younger and I would say, hey, would critique this for me, critique that for me. But to me, the best thing you can do, it's, it's great to get advice if somebody's willing to give it to you, but you have to find it yourself. You have to, you know what you like, you know who you like, you know what broadcasts you like, you know things you like, you steal some of things. You know, oh, I like the way they turned that phrase, I'll steal that. Or, oh, I like the level of enthusiasm that they had in that call, how can I find that? Or, I like the way they were simple in that call, how can I be that? Um, all of those things, it's just really, it's a process, it's a lot like life. You just sort of find your way through the world and you find your way through trial and error. And uh, I've had a lot of errors and you just try to continually go down that path and find what works and then repetition to solidify that. There is a lot to be said for making yourself available, but there's also a lot to be said for good fortune. And, and I don't wanna discount that in my path. Now, you don't continue to move up if you don't do good work. Then I'd like to think I've done enough good work that I've continued to be able to get these opportunities. But for example, um, it all, and it all just sort of builds on itself. Um, you, when I started doing the talk show, I was there for a few years, and then as it turned out, the rights to the NCAA radio events changed hands, completely out of my control, obviously. And Westwood One became the NCAA partner, which means they got the rights to every single event that the NCAA does. Well, Westwood One doesn't produce every single event the NCAA does. There's they're not doing a national broadcast of every game of the you know, soccer tournament. They're just not. They also aren't doing every game of the College World Series. So Westwood One only does the championship series. That's the only one they produce. So my radio station in Omaha called them up, said, we'd like to do the preliminary games of the College World Series. Okay, great. Sure, let's, let's work out a deal. We're not doing them. You may as well, we'll, we'll basically give you the rights to them. Well, as part of the rights deal for that, and this is very inside baseball, but you're in a broadcasting class, so you can all enjoy this. Uh, this there, as part of the deal they made, my boss at the time put in a clause that they would be required on the national broadcast of the championship series to include a member of the 1620 The Zone Omaha radio staff on their broadcast. They agreed to that. So in 2003, I became the sideline reporter for the championship series of the College World Series after, or 2004, I'm sorry, 2004, after, the, after I'd done the play-by-play -play for the preliminary games. That was the first time I got to be on Westwood One nationally. And the person who produced the games 
as it would turn out, was a man named Howard Denneroff. Howard Denneroff is now the man in charge of Westwood One Radio Sports, basically. But how he produced those games liked me and every year would say, send me some stuff, send me some stuff, send me some stuff. And I'd send him stuff. And he'd, in 2006, he called me in May, send me some stuff. Called me in July, send me more stuff. I don't have any more stuff. I sent you my best stuff. I'm now basically sending you stuff that I have on a cassette tape in the back of my car. Here's some crap. And then they called me in August and said, you got the job. I didn't know I was applying for a job. I thought I was just trying to get a game and I became their college football voice. And then that built on, in 2008, I'd done good work. They made me the voice of the Final Four and Kevin Harlan was not anymore. And they, in 2009, gave me a chance to do NFL for the first time. And then in 2011, Nebraska decided to join the Big Ten Conference. So I sent a note to the people at the Big Ten and said, hi, my name's Kevin, I do these games, I live in Omaha. Do you need anybody in Nebraska? Yeah, we'll throw you on a few games to see what you're like, I know who you are. 2012, they call me up and say, we'd like to make you more of a permanent fixture on this network. That's when I gave up the talk show because now I was gonna do more play-by-play. And then I did a lot of Big Ten stuff. They are owned by Fox. So all of a sudden that opened the door for me to do some Fox games. And I did an NFL game in 2018 and I did another one in 2019. And then Tom Brenneman said something he shouldn't say on the air and all of a sudden I'm doing more Fox games. And I mean, it's just, it, it's, it's hard work and good fortune. And I don't know which one I should put first in that sentence. Um, one is required to stay. One is needed to have the opportunities. And you know, you, you've got to perform. Had I not performed last year on the NFL, I wouldn't be doing it this year. It's not a, there's not a, it's not a forgiving business. I mean, you don't see a lot of guys who continually screw up and they go, well, let's bring you back for more years. But it is a business that is awesome when you get into it. And it's, once it's in your blood, man, it's hard to get rid of it. It is, it's something. Does anybody remember Villanova, North Carolina in the national championship game a few years back where North Carolina hits the shot and then Villanova comes down and hits the better shot to win the national? I had that call. And it, it is, it's one of those moments where you kind of recognize it's a big deal and that big things could happen here, but you don't want to think about that, if that makes any sense. You don't want to sit there going, this is really big, this is really big, this is, because then you're going to screw it up. So you just call it and hope that it matches the moment. Um, so my, what was it, second year, third year? Third year. Call in the Final Four, 2010. Hayward has a chance to win the national championship for Butler with a half-court shot against Duke. And he misses it, and Duke wins the national title. And we have an engineer named Al Rosenberg. He runs all the technical stuff for Westwood One Games. Really outstanding engineer. Kind of a curmudgeonly old dude. And he goes, Kevin, Kevin, you almost had a call that would have been played for 50 years. Now, not so much. And he walks away from me. <laughs> and, that's the, and that's the fine line between the North Carolina game and 
a game where it almost, but you have to call it the same way. I mean, you have to be in the moment to do it. And I, look, I was never any kind of an elite athlete. Anybody in here who's an athlete, like, tip, yeah, yeah, hand up quick. I tip my cap to you because you're doing stuff that I didn't do and couldn't do. So I always have, I've approached this as I have such an admiration for people who can do that at a high level. And I try to make that show in my broadcast because look, 99% of the people listening to or watching to any game did not play at that level. I mean, your audience of an NFL game is not 90, is not 100% NFL players. It's 99% people who are sitting around with their buddies watching a game and maybe, you know, pop a cold one every once in a while. That's, so it's, you're speaking to a lot of people who are like us and just want to be excited about a game. And so that's, you know, you just kind of get into the moment and call it and hope that you don't screw it up and hasn't happened at that point yet you know my first my first final four was kansas memphis 2008 mario chalmers hits a shot to send the game to overtime i have a three-man radio booth which is hard in radio because there's not a lot of room for other people to talk when the play-by-play guy's trying to describe stuff but it's bill raftery and it's john thompson john thompson god rest his soul uh, talked slowly and it's Chalmers getting the ball ready to go for the final shot to send this national championship into the overtime frame and I'm calling it eight seven eight seconds seven six and I'm counting it down he's getting over to the right wing to get ready for a shot and all of a sudden in my ear I hear you think they should foul here Billy talking to Bill Raftery <laughs> meanwhile Chalmers is about ready to go up for the shot I'm still calling it Raft, God bless him, goes, I do. And then he fires the shot. I call it. It goes in. And then, you know, ah, Chalmers hits the shot. Blah, 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 blah. And then Raft does his onions, which is still among the greatest things that's ever happened to me to have Bill Raftery say that and my name. Uh, but it's just, you, you just have to be in that moment, regardless of what's happening around you, and call it. And, you know, I could have gone, Oh, what? No, why are you talking? But you just plow through and you call the play. And now it's a great memory for me because coach is gone and, and Raph's been on TV the last few years, so he's not with me in the booth anymore. But it's been, it, it's, it's just, no matter the mo when it's a big moment or a small moment, you just gotta be ready for that moment. Kevin Kugler on Watch the Media. I'm John Schrader. Kevin with our Nebraska students made a point about preparation and always doing your best in any and every condition. Here's how I've always approached this. Whatever game it is that day, it's the most important thing that's happening in the people who are participating in it that day. You know, what's your sport? Okay, so when you're going out on the mat to wrestle, the moment you're out there, that's the most important thing you're doing that day, right? I mean, you don't you don't, you don't care about anything else, you're focused on your opponent. And that's what you need to do. That's the same thing for basketball, baseball, whatever it is, high school, college, pro, the thing that's happening on the field, on the court, on the mat, whatever, is the most important thing that's happening to those people that day. You as the broadcaster owe it to the product to provide that same level of preparation regardless and the same level of interest that they have. You don't know. Kevin Ware may be in that game. That could be the last game that person ever plays. 
to be the last time they're ever on that field of competition. And you owe it to the, to the sport, to the craft, to give your best. Now, you're not always going to have your best game. You know, it's like you may go on the mat sometime and not be great. I don't know that. Maybe you're always great. But, okay, so occasionally, you know, it, it's not the best day. It's not the best day you have on the football field. It's not the best day you have on the court. I, I don't know what it is. But it doesn't mean you didn't give your all. And that's, to me, and I'm competitive. I always had the competitive juices of an athlete. I just didn't quite get the athletic genes to go beyond a certain level. Um, but that's where you, I mean, I, I, you just owe it to the audience, first and foremost, and to the craft, second, to do your very best, whether it comes to preparation or show, that you can, regardless of the venue or the moment. It could be a no, last year, great example. We had a November game against, it was Illinois, Ohio, men's basketball on the Big Ten Network. I was doing it from a studio in Chicago. It was, a, it was Thanksgiving weekend, shoehorned between me doing a game on Thanksgiving and me doing a Sunday game on Fox. I flew from Dallas to Chicago, had a layover long enough to do this game in a studio, and then flew on to my Fox game. It was a Friday afternoon, Thanksgiving week, nobody cared. We told the story of a kid named Jason Preston. I had done some work and I'd found this story about this kid who had had this ridiculously crazy rough upbringing that all of a sudden now he's having this giant game on this Illinois stage. And we tell this story, I tell the story on air and it fits perfectly into a timeout. So I tell the story, get back to playing, kid scores I think 32 against Illinois and they fall like by four or five anyway. I go on to my game in wherever, I get up the next morning and I have 37 notifications on my Twitter account. I'm like, oh my gosh, what did I do? And I'm, and you, I didn't, before I'm looking, I'm like, oh Lord, what happened? What did I say? How, do, how am I in trouble? Because I live in fear that, like last year, I'm doing a game and, I, and Philadelphia was all banged up and I'm like, oh my gosh, this team is like a mash unit right now. And I have somebody start some Twitter thing. This guy just said mass shooting. He just said the Eagles are like a mass shooting. And I'm like, what are you, are you nuts? No, I didn't say that, but that, so apparently that got to my producers and they're talking about it to Fox and he, they went back and listened to it to make sure that I didn't compare an injury situation to mass shooting. So I'm all concerned about these notifications that I see because normally when you get blown up on Twitter, it's for something bad. But that story that I had prepared for that fit into this game, the kid happened to have this amazing game, had gone viral. Somebody had clipped it, tweeted it out, and it was just this barrage of tweets. And it was a Friday game that was literally a throwaway non-conference game in the middle of a very busy weekend for me. But because it, and that game mattered to this kid from Ohio more than any other game he played last year because it really put him on the map. If I hadn't done that prep, and it doesn't always work that way, but if I hadn't done that prep, that story doesn't get told by me. I'm sure it gets told by somebody at some point, but it doesn't explode like that. So that's why no matter the game, no matter the sport, no matter the moment, you got to do as much as you can to prepare for it because you never know. Students like to know what to put on their reel, so Kevin Kugler gives them some advice. I, I, I you know, when I see tapes, and I, I, you know, that's another nice thing about this. I haven't had to send a tape for a while. My agent handles that now. Uh, but when I would have to do that, um, I, I was not a big, let's put a clip of highlights at the front of it, you know, 
anybody, any one of you can hit a great call. Any one of you can call a home run. Any one of you can call a touchdown. I want to hear what you do in the middle of a game. What is your, and I don't have any jobs to give any of you, so I can't really, and what I want to hear really doesn't matter. But if I'm a listener, it's great that you can call the home run, and I need to hear that. I need to hear that you can call the touchdown. But I also need to know when it's 38 to 10 and the Lions are down 28 on the opening day at home, how am I, why am I still listening to this show? Why am I still paying attention to this broadcast at all? That's sometimes the stuff I need to hear too. I've, I've put drives on tapes before in a football game that resulted in nothing. It resulted in a turnover or a punt that I happened to think I had a good sequence of seven or eight plays. So it's not always about putting something on there that culminates in a magic moment. It's showing someone that you are competent, capable, organized. Maybe you sprinkled in a story or a little bit of a nugget or something that was good, or maybe you just listened to it and thought, I'm good at this. In this moment, I'm a broadcaster. Maybe the rest of the game, you're hot garbage. I don't know, but in that moment, you're good. And that's what I would send. As part of their weekly prep, the announcers and producers talk with NFL players and coaches. It's different per game. Like for this week, it was more of a overall picture because nobody played other than preseason. So, you know, for the Lions, Dan Campbell was in his first game as head coach. So, you know, what, what goes into this? What are you looking for? For them, it's the start of a process. So give me two to three years down the road what you envision this to look like. For Kyle Shanahan of the Niners, it was more of a, you know, you were 6-10 and 10 last year. Now all of a sudden people think you can maybe be a dark horse Super Bowl contender. You know, let's talk about some of the strategies that go into that. Who's, who's going to do this? Who's going to do that for you? Um, each week it differs. This week we'll talk, I'm sure, with Matt Nagy about the quarterback situation with the Bears. You know, Did Andy Dalton do enough? What do you, what's your plan for Justin Fields? How do you? And most of these coaches are very open with us because they know we know what to say and what not to say on air. So it's not, you know, they're not going to, they're going to usually be very open as to what their plans are, their expectations are. And then we parse out, you know, I'm not, we're never going to burn anybody. We're partners with the NFL, so we're never going to burn anybody. But it is information they know that we can use. So it's just a matter of editorial content as to what we decide to put out there. Um, but, you know, this week it'll be with Zach Taylor. And, and I'm, for, you know, I'm fortunate. I know Zach a little bit from here. And then I know him because we had, I don't know how many Bengals games it seemed last year. But, you know, this a guy was, came in on the hot seat, and they looked great. Sorry. They looked, they looked okay. They, they got lucky last week. I mean, we all know it. I'm, yeah, I mean, you know. But they've, got a, they, but they've got a dynamic offense. They've got an explosive quarterback. Obviously, Joe. And we'll talk. We always talk to quarterbacks. They'll sit down with us you know, and go over some of their stuff. And a lot of that is more technical with them. Um, Laura is very big on the relational side of it, so I try not to steal as much of her thunder on those things. So it's more technical when it comes to our side with the quarterbacks. And having a quarterback now on the crew, Mark gets into a lot of that stuff with them, so I don't have to pretend that I'm going to be parsing all that out and act like I know more than I do, which is good because that's how you get into trouble. So, it, but it's, you know, it's, to me, it's all about you've, you've built these relationships with these guys and you kind of understand they understand you a little bit, you understand them a little bit, and you just kind of figure out what's good that they have that they can offer on a broadcast. Questions for Kevin Kugler from our students about needing an agent? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, 
And that's, uh, that's I'm glad you brought that up because that is something that I didn't get one until I had the chance to move to TV. I didn't need one. You, you don't get one when you first start. It's not, you're gonna, it, it's more headache than it's worth. It really is. Unless there's an opportunity for you to get a team job or something like that, that you need somebody to negotiate on your behalf so that you're not the bad guy going in to negotiate with your boss, don't, don't waste your money or time on it. Um, it was, they started pursuing me, this agent did, back in 2006, really started coming in hard after me in 2008, and, it, and I, didn't, I didn't join them for four more years. So, it, because I didn't need it. I, I, I wasn't gonna give them any of my money from Westwood One, I wasn't gonna give them any of my money from my talk show. And so it's like, I, I don't know what you would do for me. But then when I made the decision that I wanted to really focus more on doing TV as well as radio, then, because I didn't have any contacts there. I was already at the top of the radio game. So I didn't need anybody to get me in the NFL or the NCAA tournament because I already had that. So if you're ever into the point where you need an agent, th that's great. And, that's, and they can, they're very valuable for you and to you. A friend of mine just had, we share an agent and has an opportunity for an amazing job that probably going to get. But, um, and that's where an agent really comes into play. But if you are just somebody starting out, you don't need one. They don't, they don't have jobs. They have contacts, but they don't, the agent's not sitting on a list of 15 jobs that are open. They have contacts once jobs open, but don't feel like, oh my gosh, I, I got to get an agent. Too many young broadcasters make that mistake, and it's you're you're just throwing money away. There's no you know, and these people that tell you, well, send us money for this or send us, they just want your money. That you know, a lot of this stuff you can do on your own. I promise you, a lot of it you can do on your own. The age-old question Kevin Kugler takes: Radio or television? How are they different, or maybe the same? Hundred percent. It's a completely different medium. Um, it's. I. I feel like I still don't quite have a great grasp, even though I've done TV for a long time now, on the on the nuances of TV versus radio. I can. I'm confident in my radio call. Um, I've done a lot of it, and so I'm. That one I don't ever question. I'm. You know, I just try to improve, but I also know what I'm doing when I get in there. TVs. There's a, I was reminded again this week that there's a lot going on in an NFL broadcast. I got a lot of things that are happening. I got producer in my ear all the time telling me, go here, go there, this, this, this is coming up, watch this, do this. Um, it's, there's a, it's a, it, now by week three or four, I'll be back into the rhythm, but it's, it's a very different thing. I am a setup man on TV and I am a descriptive man on radio because I don't need to tell you it's on the right side. I don't need to tell you it's, you know, right hash, left hash. But on TV, on radio, I do. I don't have to continue to work in the score unless the bug crashes and you can't see it on the screen, which has happened. Um, so you just kind of, you call, it's a, you, you try to stay the same, but it's different. Um, it's a different art. I don't say as much. I lay out more. Um, the layout, if you do TV, is a really valuable weapon, especially with fans back, because that's a big, big thing. If you just stop talking and let the crowd, I mean, 
say it's second and eight, and they run up the middle for two, it's third and six, maybe just don't say anything. It's like third down and six coming up. Or maybe it's first and ten, and they run up the middle for two, and it's second and eight. Well, nothing happened on the first play, and this is a second down. So maybe just sit and let the crowd talk. Let the director shoot some, cut some pictures. I mean, it's, it, that's something I've really – I missed that last year because I was just starting to really play with that on TV, and I look forward to doing more of that this year. I'm trying to teach Mark about the layout so he doesn't – he's got youthful enthusiasm still, so he gets a little bit excited sometimes I found out about – Place. Oh, Kevin, the ball's out! <laughs> Which is not a bad thing, but it is it is something I have to get used to because Chris Spielman was not as youthful or enthusiastic on those things. So, but it's it's a completely different art. Um, but it's one that's it's fun to do both. Radio's my passion, but you know, TV is TV. Kevin Kugler with us on Watch the Media, a conversation he had with our sports broadcasting students at the University of Nebraska. The Fox Sports, Big Ten Network, and Westwood One sports announcer is a native Nebraskan and a graduate of the University of Nebraska's College of Journalism and Mass Communications. From where we're doing this program, Watch the Media. I'm John Schrader. Thank you so much for being with us.